0: Kick off episode 399 of Monster Kid Radio with the song "Blood Sushi and Sake." It comes from the band Z and the Tiki Twisters. is off their new album "Hardcore Twist in Istanbul City." Z and the Tiki Twisters are a surf band based out of Gazot, France. You can find them at ztheTikiTwisters.bandcamp.com or just follow the link in the show notes when you're done listening to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesterday. Year. My name is Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the show and to week two of dan December 2018. That's right. Through the month of December, we are talking about nothing but Dan Curtis Productions. Last week, we talked about his version of Dracula with Stephen D. Sullivan. This week, we're going to keep things in the vampire wheelhouse when we talk about the movie House of Dark Shadows. And we're going to be doing that with Jeff Owens, one of the men behind the Classic Horrors Film Club podcast, which is a really cool podcast, and Jeff's a really cool guy. It was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun talking to Jeff about House of Dark Shadows. You know, he's a big fan of the Dark Shadows property and franchise, and Really, he's kind of the reason why I'm doing Dan Sembran. We'll talk a little bit about that with Jeff later on in this episode. Of course, as always, Kenny is the man, because he contributed another amazing Famous Monsters of Filmland segment talking about how House of Dark Shadows was represented in that magazine. Also, I'll tell you a little bit about what's happening next week on the show when we hit the big episode four, zero, zero. You don't want to miss that. And did you know that I released the 2018 Holiday Gift Guide? We'll talk about that, too. That's a lot of stuff to get to in this week's episode. So why don't I stop talking and we get on with the show?
1: (sighs) Well,
2: Cindy, this is the last box. Supermates is now officially moved into Fire and Water podcast headquarters.
1: Where do you want this Starman short box?
2: Put it over by the classic monster DVDs. Be careful, don't crush my superpowers Batmobile.
1: Calm down, Christopher. Hey, you put the Star Trek DVDs on top of my comic action Wonder Woman Invisible Plane!
2: Oh, jeez. Well, now we can tell everyone that Supermates can be found exclusively at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
1: Now, if they subscribe via iTunes, they shouldn't notice a change, right?
2: Right. Or if they listen through the main Fire and Water network feed, no change. They can just find the show's home, show notes, etc. here at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
1: Well, I'm going to go take a dip in the aquaman-sized swimming pool Rob has, but I am not putting on that mirror costume. It smells fishy. Oh,
2: come on, it'll be fun. Hey, hey, don't trip over that life-size shag standy. <laughs>
1: is disturbingly real
2: supermates the husband and wife geek cast now a proud member of the fire and water podcast network find us on itunes or at fireandwaterpodcast.com
3: you'll meet her at night in a dark place she's beautiful and she'll be waiting for you waiting to love you to death Ah! new world pictures presents the velvet vampire she'll love you to death And on the same bill, this second horror shocker, Scream of the Demon Lover. Was he a man, or was he the depraved monster resurrected from a grisly death to stalk the night with a loathsome craving which only the most unspeakable horrors could satisfy? You'll find out when you hear the Scream of the Demon Lover. It may be the last sound you hear. See the Velvet Vampire and Scream of the Demon Lover. Both in shocking color, rated R. If you see them at night, don't walk home alone. Frankenstein's monster can be destroyed by fire. Dracula, by a silver stake driven through his heart. But nothing, nothing will avail against the absolute evil of the creeping flesh. A scientific experiment turns into a nightmare as a creature from hell buried since the dawn of time is restored to life the creeping flesh will infect the innocent with its malignant power the creeping flesh will drive the insane to new excesses of madness and murder the creeping flesh from Columbia Pictures, rated PG, parental guidance suggested.
2: Hi, Derek and the Monster Kids. This is Jeff Pellier calling in with a weird Wednesday report from the Joy Cinema. On the 28th of November, the movie was La Hora Palante, Bestia Humana. Oh, well, in English, it's Night of the Bloody Eight.
3: An orgy of terror. It's the light of a bloody ape's creatures, born of madness, half man, half beast, all horror. Of the bloody apes one man shares their terrible secret one man challenges nature on the night of the bloody apes sharing their bloodlust name the of science daring divine will with his bizarre creations
2: a 1969 movie that's apparently a remake of the same director's 1962 movie Doctor of Doom. This movie starts off very disjointed. There's two plots that seem completely unrelated. One about uh, uh, female luchadors and Lucy who is our heroine of the story uh, really hurts another one um, You know, to the point where that other one has to go to the hospital. She feels bad about it and her boyfriend is a lieutenant in the police force. The other story is Dr. Kralman, uh, who has a son that needs life-saving surgery that the son isn't going to get. So Dr. Kralman decides to uh, do a transplant from a gorilla, and this makes his son uh, uncontrollable and actually partially transforms into this gorilla-like creature. Uh, this is one way in which the title is inaccurate because it's Night of the Bloody Apes. There's only one ape. Uh, the surgery scene is interesting because they used actual footage uh, from a surgical suite. You don't see that often, <laughs> even in Spanish cinema. So that was pretty funny. Uh, eventually the two plots do join together. Uh, and we get you know the, the Lucy's lieutenant boyfriend, uh, the one is you know tracking down the monster, and of course his father, the the evil mad scientist. Uh, overall, it was decent. It was a fun way to spend an hour and a half. Uh, you know, if you like luchador stuff, you know we got some uh, some you know female luchador stuff going on. If you like ape monster Frankensteinish kind of stuff, yay, you got that too. Uh, the following week, Jeff showed, uh, a non-horror, non-sci-fi movie. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it really wasn't our, uh, you know, our usual wheelhouse. I am looking forward to this week, of course. Uh, this week is going to be Beyond Atlantis. I have no idea what it's about, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Anyway, I hope everyone's having a great day, and since I happen to be recording this on the 11th of December, happy birthday, Derek! I'll talk to you later. Bye.
3: Submerged for centuries, Atlantis, the lost continent,
2: rises in
3: mythological magnificence. Meet Serena, conceived and spawned in a world beneath the waves. Mermaid majesty, drifting through dreamy depths. Fire in her eyes, love on her lips, desire in her heart. When will you mate? It is your destiny. To mate with an outsider, not to love him. Underwater warriors in a savage struggle for survival.
2: I will not sacrifice myself.
3: You will mate! You will mate! beyond dreams, beyond thought, beyond Atlantis, astounding the imagination, ravishing the senses. The siren of the sea rising through rapture serene, afloat on waves of pleasure, in a bed of pearls. The ancient army of Atlantis clashing with modern soldiers of science. Atlantis must conquer or die. A primeval princess leads her people from a kingdom beneath the sea to a blazing battleground above. Beyond Atlantis. Today's young people find it fascinating to dabble in the supernatural. How would you feel about driving a wooden stake through somebody's heart? Because I think you and I are going to have to kill Count Yorga. It's conceivable that Paul and Erickson might have turned into vampires. If that's true, we'll have to kill them too. Count Yorga Vampire is a horror-haunting tale of today that could happen to you. Count Yorga Vampire is not of the past. It is now. See Count Yorga Vampire Rated GP Parental Guidance Suggested. You shall be Black Prince. I press you with my name. You shall be Black Blackula, the Black Avenger, rising from his tomb to fill the night with horror. Dracula, Dracula's soul brother, deadlier even than he. Dracula, he thirsts for your blood, he hungers for your soul, more horrifying than Dracula. (coughs) The Black Avenger, Dracula, an American international release, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested.
1: Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club, and I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast?
3: I'll never smile
1: again. Wow, that's a little mean.
4: How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Horrors Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous.
1: I think that's enough from our listeners. I've always said we have the, uh, best fans... Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horrors Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club.
3: Oh, wait,
4: here's
1: one more listener
4: walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast?
3: There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it.
1: Hello, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Dan Simber continues with the Dan Curtis film House of Dark Shadows. This film was featured on the cover of FM82 from February of 1971. A colorful triptych with two photos of Barnabas and one of Carolyn the Vampiris in the film. This issue includes a 10-page article which has 14 photos from the film including several shots from the police and persecution of Carolyn, which was a highlight of the film. The article starts with this brief history of the origins of Dark Shadows. Through the fog-shrouded mountains of an eerie countryside, a lonely train makes its treacherous way toward an unknown destination. Aboard the train, a pretty young girl stares down at the mysterious letter in her hand. She has been hired as a governess for a family she does not know. Suddenly, with a hiss of brakes... The train pulls into a station. The girl steps out onto a deserted platform, her feet bathe to the ankles in the thick mist that surrounds everything. Sound like the opening scene to a horror film? It wasn't. It was only a dream. When producer Dan Curtis awoke from this weird dream, he recognized the potential it had for a television series. It was from the seeds of this fantasy that Dark Shadows, one of TV's most successful daytime serials, was born. The article continues with the history of the soap opera, then goes into a description and synopsis of the film version, including a look at the actors from the show that appear in the movie. The article concludes with this. House of Dark Shadows is characterized by liberal doses of gory murders and bloody deaths in the great old Dan Curtis tradition. In an interview, Curtis related still another dream to the reporter. In this fantasy... He would invite the cast and crew of House of Dark Shadows to a big party to celebrate the success of the picture. He would hold the affair at Lockwood House in Norwick, Connecticut, one of the three spooky mansions he used during the filming of the movie. When all the guests had gathered in the central rotunda, Curtis would press a button and huge steel doors would quickly slam closed, imprisoning the group. A motion picture camera protected in glass would then rise out of the floor and begin to revolve. "'Suddenly, Dan Curtis's recorded voice would shout, "'So you thought you were coming to a party?' "'And with that, 150 men with crossbows would appear on the balcony "'and begin shooting at the helpless people below. "'And while all this was going on, "'the camera would be filming the entire bloody mess. "'One of Curtis's dreams, the girl on the train, "'has brought him fame and fortune. "'This one, however, well, who knows?' House of Dark Shadows was mentioned briefly in FM94, in an article about movies with surprise endings. Here is the spoiler given for this classic film. The House of Dark Shadows was far, far better than the TV series. Practically everyone was wiped out in this one. Right after Barnabas was destroyed by the wooden arrow, a strange thing happened. The heroine commented that she felt that the good part of the villain somehow lived on. At that moment, a vampire bat went flying past the screen. Was it the good part of him, or was it something else?
3: This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited... And occasionally this results in
0: revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes.
3: So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky von Helsing. You've
0: heard the promo, I play it here on the show pretty often, because I love the podcast. I'm talking about the Classic Horrors Film Club, and one of the co-hosts is Jeff Owens. He's also the man behind the Classic Horrors Club website, which you can find at classichorrors.club, and I've got him here on the show this week. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm
4: doing great, Derek. It's good to be back, good to talk to you, and I'm super excited to talk about House of Dark Shadows.
0: Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. I am really looking forward to this one. Uh, We were talking in a pre-recording recording. recording. I hadn't watched this movie before getting ready for this episode, and there were a couple of different reasons for that. One, I wanted to make sure I got through the entire Dark Shadows TV run, and I haven't finished yet. I'm still probably about a year's worth of episodes to go. Uh, I've been going through and, and mainlining them and binging them as much as I can. I wanted to wait until I was done until I watched the movies. Plus when we talked about doing this on the show, I was like, okay, now, now I've got to really got to hold off. Cause I want to come into this fresh and actually I watched it this morning.
4: Wow. So it is definitely fresh. Well, this could be interesting though, because on one hand I would think perhaps if you were watching the show, you might get through the storyline that's represented in the movie and then watch the movie. That would be interesting. However, since the movie was filmed while the TV show was still being filmed, uh, that might also be interesting because the actors probably have developed and changed and you could sort of compare just in real time, not TV time or movie time, You know where the actors were uh, at the, that time. That would be interesting too. So I, well, any way you watch House of Dark Shadows, you're good.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about that. It's like, when when was this done? Was this done during the production of the show or was this after the fact?
4: It was during production. And wow. this was a part of the show. And if you watch... You know, it's a time when Barnabas is away for a while. He's locked in his coffin. Well, that's so he could go and and film the movie. It was in 1970, so it was, uh, there was still a year left in the series, but this was also a time that the series was playing up, you know, David Selby as Quentin Collins and kind of focusing on their stories so that this core original cast could go uh, and make the movie. I think they shot it in about a month, I think it was 30 days. So, You probably would have noticed an absence only for, you know, a few weeks. It's fun, though, watching the movie because you do see some characters that just have cameos, but you recognize different ones that are one of them that was, I think, pretty big in the series at the time is a pallbearer during Carolyn's funeral. So it's fun. You recognize faces, whether or not they have a big part in the movie.
0: I did have fun going through and watching it. It was like, okay, I know who that person is. Okay, I know who that. Whoa, that's that's the person. I didn't realize he'd be in this. You know, it was kind of fun to kind of go through and, and as every every time somebody else new turned up on screen, you're like, oh okay, oh okay, I know that guy. Oh okay, you know, it was just fun.
4: Yeah, it's like an extension of the show where the the actors would play different characters. And in a way, this was another character. Some of them played. They were probably combinations of different characters they played. Uh, but just slightly different than they were on the show, and you know, for example, Victoria Winters was gone from the show uh, by this time. Alexander Moltke. so she's not in the movie and in the show. Maggie Evans, Catherine Lee Scott had become the governess, sort of taken that role of, mm-hmm. and uh, so in the movie it's Maggie Evans that's the governess. Where when the storyline originally came on the show, it was Victoria Winters. So that's fun. It's just another way to see familiar faces in different roles and i that's one of the things i've always liked about dark shadows
3: house of dark shadows where death is a way of life Collins. If I didn't see you with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it. Barnabas Collins, head of a family of blood (laughs) relations. Julia, do you believe in the existence of vampires? (laughs) You're not really serious. But he is Julia. Carolyn didn't been vampires either now she is one yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear
1: no evil for thou art with me stay away from me
0: you're dead it's so much more grand than anything the TV show was doing. I mean, you've got a ton of exteriors, which you don't normally get with uh, you know most daytime soap operas anyway, uh, and just to have this this lush, this largeness to it, it was pretty impressive, and makes me wish they had that kind of money for the soap opera.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Brand is a, is a good word for it. I mean, when you look at a show that's famous now for its wobbling sets and crew members walking in to this lush, rich movie it, for being made in the 70s, I'm inclined to sort of compare it to Hammer. But it's not really this is more real. I mean, they went to a real location, I don't believe if many sets were built at all you know so it's got texture and it's also got in that 70s style of filmmaking laid over it but it's just dark and atmospheric and it's solid and the music i think you can separate it from the show and stylistically too i mean barnabas is pretty much a bad guy in the movie and he became a little more sympathetic in the tv show but it stands on its own from that perspective but it's Like if you watch Dark Shadows every day and you dreamed of, oh, I wish this had a little better production value, you know, this movie gives it to you in spades. It's (laughs) it's fantastic.
0: Let the record show that Jeff is the first person to bring up music. Um, <laughs> but I want to comment on that. I loved that they raided the jukebox from the Blue Whale and shoved a little bit of the music from the Blue Whale Ra- Blue <laughs> into the beginning of the movie, That the music that David was listening to at one point before he left the room. I, I loved that, and, and I feel like this movie's got a lot of little things, little bits to reward fans of the show with.
4: I feel like the big thing with this, because I get – have two different conversations when I talk to someone who is familiar with the show and then sees the movie versus someone that may not be. And I've often talked about House of Dark Shadows just being a great vampire movie. And if they're not familiar with Dark Shadows and they watch it, they haven't been that impressed by it. And I'm, I'm too close to it. It's hard for me to distance it and be objective about it. But I do wonder, does it stand on its own as a vampire movie or do you have to know about dark shadows to fully appreciate it what what do you think
0: you know i keep wondering what it would have been like if i wasn't aware of the show and i do feel like there are some moments in the film that kind of happen a bit fast right Uh, there's a couple of jumps between you know know if it's a time thing or a logic thing some of the things with uh, for example uh, dr hoffman's investigation mm-hmm. and her right. coming around to oh it's a vampire and i'm in love with barnabas and you know all this that kind of doesn't feel like it got fleshed out enough for the right. film that said i think the film holds up if you can kind of get past that a little bit i think he mentioned hammer earlier and that's perfect this does have a very american hammer type feel to it it, it is Gothic. It is dripping with atmosphere. And I think part of it is because of where it was shot. It wasn't on set. You don't see shadows of boom mics all over the place. And I'm sure the actors that were on the show had a blast. You know, were just thrilled to be able to interact with a real location as opposed to something some crew put together. And the old house looks amazing. Mm. I mean, even the casket that Barnabas is hanging out in. I mean, that looks
4: great. I'd like to have a fraction of their cobweb budget. (laughs)
0: yeah i mean if nothing else if there are some things that seem to happen a bit too quick or or you might want to have flesh done a little bit more just get lost in the mood and the atmosphere because there's so many shadow i mean a lot of shadows but you're right yeah there's a ton of complex
4: (laughs) and you know i even get around that and i agree i i realize that some of it's kind of jarring and sudden and there are a lot of quick edits so this was written by people that had written the soap opera Sam Hall and Gordon Russell mm-hmm. and I'm sure they're they're familiar with the story but they do use something that they sort of used in the soap opera and it goes kind of what you said about getting the people caught up I mean you may not see something happen but they're very good about you may be in the next scene somebody saying oh mm-hmm. this happened and it's just quick and in passing and I think For me, that makes up for some of that suddenness because I think they do a pretty good job of accounting for the things that we don't see. But, man, is this expeditious. It gets that story from start to finish. It's quick you know, quickly goes, there's no fat in this movie. And I appreciate that. Yeah,
0: it, it does move along. And you're right. Where's Roger? Well, he went off to go do something else. Well, then, you know, something bad happened to him. When you catch up with him later, yeah, he's been vamped. Um, <laughs> there's a, a lot of moments like that. And yeah, they do kind of catch up a little bit. I feel like Nancy Barrett actually had more to do in the film than she did in the show.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that. In the show, it was sort of just getting into trouble and, the, uh, you know, yeah, somewhat of a version of a troubled teenager or, you know, yeah. um, always wanting to piss her mom off and getting into silly little romances and things. But yeah, she's, in the movie, more substantial. She's a, you know, part of the plot definitely pivots around what happens to
2: her. Mm-hmm.
0: And I appreciated that. I mean, I, I, she, her character, at least in the people that I associate with in my circle of friends, her character gets a lot of grief because she is that kind of Oh, I'm, I'm getting in trouble over a man and then another man and then another man, and I'm jealous over this man. It's just, mm, right. You know, and I feel like she did get more to do here, which I appreciated. And I mean, she makes a good vampire. So <laughs> give her that. I really enjoyed all the performances in this. I really liked all the acting. And I think it really shows that the cast of the show aren't just stage actors who a TV gig. I mean, these are solid performances. I would have loved to have spent more time with, for example, Roger. I would have loved to spend more time with Louis Edmonds character in this film because he's just great and he feels at home in front of the camera. Everybody does.
4: Yeah, and to hear them, you know, saying lines without stumbling over them or or pausing uncomfortably is is great. I mean, it just they even look different. They just look. Uh, well, of course, I guess film video for TV versus film for a movie. But, yeah, I would say they exceed expectations based on what you've seen, you know, watching the show.
0: No, nobody's trying to cover for uh, David Hennessy maybe dropping a line. You're right. You know? <laughs> and even he's not that annoying in the movie.
4: <laughs> no, no. And he's, he's pretty annoying in the early episodes. That is, I guess, going back to that point about it being sometimes jarring, I guess there were a few scenes that were cut. Uh, I think some were in the original shooting script that weren't even filmed, but there were a couple that were cut and they do fill in a little bit about what happened. I think there's a couple of instances like at the party where uh, Barnabas says, yes, he, or Jeff says he has met Barnabas. Well, we didn't see that. And again, I took that as well. It happened. We now know that it happened. I didn't need to see that, but Mm -hmm. they did film some of those scenes and, you know, I, I'm fine that they were cut. I don't think anything was significant enough that it would have added. And, you you know, you leave all those scenes in, it starts maybe to get a little bloated and we wouldn't have as efficient in a movie as it is.
0: I did very little research on this because, like I said, I just watched it this morning before we started recording. And I didn't want to spoil too much of it, even though I basically knew it was a retelling of a lot of the things I saw on the show already. But the minimal research I did shows that maybe there were a lot of things that were shot that Dan Curtis had to cut and didn't have a lot of time to do it. So that might have led to some of that as well. I do feel like some scenes just kind of end, uh, specifically because the music just kind of ends. There's not like a really nice outro from the score when we go to the next scene. And, you know, I don't know if that footage still exists, if there could ever be, you know, a re- uh, i don't know a reconstruction with these missing scenes says i'd love to see it i'd love to hang out at this set this collinwood just is amazing
4: i think i'd be too scared to man it's, <laughs> it's creepy
0: <laughs> but it looks so cool on screen yeah. oh and, and the
4: swimming pool the, the you know the abandoned swimming pool that's yeah just, that, that's yeah i didn't even want to say it so I have an interesting story about the first time I saw this movie and I'd love to hear it. The movie came out. I had to go see the movie. And one day after school, my aunt took me to see it. And this was in the day where movies just sort of repeated after it ended. It started over. So we actually walked in. Now I know it was quite late in the movie. It was the scene where David's in the pool, balancing the ball. And he says, if he catches the ball, Carolyn's not dead. So, you know, we sat down and watched and when, when, Julia's experiment it goes awry and Barnes becomes an old man, it scared me to death. And I tugged on my Aunt Nancy's arm and I said, if he comes on again, can we leave? And she le- said, oh, do you mean you want to go get popcorn or coke or something? I go, no, can we leave? And sure enough, he came on and we left. So my first viewing was very incomplete. And I, I don't remember the first time I saw it in full. I, I'm sure it was the early days it came out on VHS because imagine those years of wondering and then finally growing up i really really wanted to see the whole thing
0: <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome there are some pretty terrifying moments in this which you don't get in the show i mean this is a flat-out vampire scary movie
4: and bloody as heck that oh man ending in slow motion is just
0: a lot more blood than you would ever see on a
2: soap opera
4: and i think the a- actors at least jonathan Frit, i don't I don't think he cared for that. I think there was talk of a, well, there was a second movie, but you know, before it was produced, I'm sure Dan Curtis wanted to bring back uh, Jonathan Frizell. He didn't want anything to do with it. It was too, too gory. It had gone too far, he thought, from the TV show, and uh, so he didn't participate.
0: I don't think I'll be talking about Night of Dark Shadows during this year's Dan Simber. Uh, maybe next year, you know, we'll tackle it. But I haven't seen it either because, again, I wanted to. You know, come to things fresh. It's not a direct continuation of this one, though, right?
4: Right. It's very, very different. It's not even really associated with the series. It has some elements and, of course, the familiar cast, but I don't believe it's a familiar storyline like like this is.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. This one picks up on the, the main story with Barnabas being a vampire and Dr. Hoffman trying to cure him. But I also appreciated a lot of the nods to... The series that didn't have anything to do with Barnabas, like uh, Maggie getting locked into a room by David, which in the show that happens to Victoria, but there's no Victoria in the film. So I did appreciate having that as well in the film. I feel like there's a lot of stuff to Dark Shadows. And I mean, this also applies to the show that have nothing to do with the vampire. That's just as exciting.
4: Yeah. And there's a subplot, I guess. And this is one of the scenes that was cut. And it seems kind of odd in the movie. It's just barely mentioned that Maggie's actually going to leave. So all this trouble she's had with David that he he torments her, the pranks he plays. And uh, one of the scenes that was cut was he staged his own hanging and they open the closet. and He's hanging, you know, so this has just driven her to her limit. and She was going to leave. And so they say in the movie, in fact, Barnabas talks her into staying and you don't really know well why was she leaving or you got kind of to put two and two together and if you've seen the series this is something that enhances it cuz you know and so that is one of those nods to you know the original show and, and some of those subplots
0: yeah when that ha- when that came up about maggie leaving i was like wait what what hold on what and then you start to put it all together. But yeah, that seemed to kind kind of come out of the blue for me.
4: And wondering about and not maybe knowing who the characters are. I think they do a pretty good job of if at some point, you know, finally, you know, Roger saying, well, David, his son, or, you know, Carolyn calling Elizabeth mother. So you kind of figure out who and who, but I think it's kind of funny that one thing they don't really adequately explain is the relationship of Roger and Elizabeth. And I think it comes across that they are possibly married and, of course, they're really brother and sister, but that that's just the one thing you would know, you know, if you're familiar, but you might not be sure what the relationship is if you weren't familiar.
0: Huh. You know, you're, I mean, of course, you're right. I mean, you know this movie better than I, but yeah, you're, you're right. <laughs> they yeah, never do yeah. say, and I don't think Carolyn ever calls him Uncle Roger, does she? I don't think so. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Uh, what did you think of uh, Joan Bennett's portrayal in the film versus what she does in the show?
4: Oh gosh, she doesn't have a very big part. I don't know. It was nice seeing her on the big screen in a real movie, be- just because of her history of, of being a, a Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. legend. And so I, I don't think I'm familiar with any of her movies pre Dark Shadows, but she's got that history of that legacy so it was nice to see her I, she brings definitely a quality and air to it but honestly her character is fairly insignificant in the movie um in fact they put her away um, uh, what was it she was so upset that she wasn't speaking and they put her in her room and she's gone for a large part of the movie
0: which reminded me of Part of the Phoenix storyline yep. from the show, yep. you know, yep. she just kind of shuts down and goes catatonic.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I liked seeing her on the screen, and I would have loved to have seen this theatrically. Man, that would be amazing. But I just loved seeing her in the set, you know, in in the the home, watching her interact with what looks like really expensive stuff. Because I mean, she's supposed to be part of this family that that has a lot of money, and to actually see her interact with these things, especially when she receives the necklace. Right, right. Uh, it's just uh, it just felt at home for her.
4: Yeah, and she's aristocratic in a way. I mean, you mm-hmm. get the you know the impression of this family that basically owns the town and has been so prominent in it, and she's the uh, matriarch, you know, of this family that comes through subtly. Yeah, she's she's perfect for that.
0: Yeah, I, I really liked her in this. I also really liked Willie in this. Willie Loomis seems <laughs> yes. to have a little bit more of a sympathetic thing going. Than I got out of the show, or at least what I've gotten out of the show so far.
4: Yeah, I would agree. Little less one note, maybe, and of course he's got quite an arc, and it's compacted in the movie. I I agree with you. I like that, and John Carlin's great in that role.
0: Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah,
4: and the little subplot it, again, it kind of ekes out in the movie that you know he's sort of not even a romantic thing, but definitely cares for Maggie Evans, and that's big in the series when part kidnaps her and he's sort of the one that's trying to help her and get her out. But uh, in the movie, a little bit of that's there. and You know, he wanted he doesn't want to see her become the bride at the end of the vampire. And yeah, he, he's great.
0: Yeah, I did like him a lot as well. When we were at monster bash together, not this year, but last year, is that when you bought a poster for this? Yes. Yes. Which I'm going to go ahead and tell listeners now that moment when I saw you putting that into the trunk of the car, that's what made me decide we're doing Dan Samber here on the show
2: oh cool
0: yeah like that's that's what we're gonna do and and i gotta remember jeff likes this movie i gotta get him on the show to talk about it
4: yeah i, I would have been very hurt if you didn't ask me so thank you I gotta do it
0: man yeah i remember this stuff might take a year and a half to get you on the show afterwards but i'll remember
4: yeah. <laughs> do you have any other actor or character that you particularly like i for some reason i'm always drawn to professor stokes and he adds a a um, you know, another level to it. So I, you know, I really like him. I like, he, he wasn't part of the storyline on television. So to have him here sort of a Van Helsing character, wouldn't you say a little bit? I love me,
0: my vampire hunters. I love that. And yeah. I did get that vibe from the character here in the film. Yeah. He was just fun. And, and as an actor, I mean, that, that's, he's great. And he's played a couple of different roles in the show. Yeah. So to have him turn up in this was just a lot of fun i like him i would have liked to seen more with the relationship between him and dr hoffman because mm-hmm. they both seem to be co-conspirators and kind of sort of knowing what's going on uh the actor is Thayer david and i mean he's been part of the show from near the beginning he played matthew for a long time on the show and then would turn back up later on the show as we went along as an actor he's
4: really good yeah yeah
0: I'd say he's probably one of my favorite actors in the film itself. I'll, I'll give him that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm always drawn to him.
0: It's so interesting to see this film and, and to know that, and I didn't know this, that they just went back to shooting the show on TV. Like, how do you take a step down from this? film? <laughs>
4: That's a good point. Feel, go back to like, you're slumming it. Right. Yeah. And I don't know how much, I mean, it was starting sort of to Peter out by then. I mean, Uh, It would only go on for another year. Ratings were dropping. Yeah, I don't know how they felt about that. There's a a book, the Dark Shadows movie book, which Mm -hmm. has the shooting scripts and then a a few essays by some of the actors. And Catherine Lee Scott, That, of course, she's sort of been the face of Dark Shadows for years. She's always out promoting it and writing books and things. She apparently uh, did a diary on the backs of the call sheets every day. And... Uh, there's some of those in this book. I I didn't get through them before we recorded, but I looked at some of them. She talks about how, you know, just making a movie period was such a big thing and she didn't know what she was doing because she had never done that and very different from doing the soap opera. So I bet she probably uh, would have some insight into that. And if we read further, she's probably talked about the difference and what it might've been like going back.
0: I do want to know so much more about all things Dark Shadows, and I want to know more about this film. You know, I want to go back to something you asked a second ago. I'm a, I apologize for being a little scatterbrained. I'm just excited about the movie. <laughs> uh, another actor that I really enjoyed seeing on screen, playing a different role, uh, was Dennis Patrick.
4: Yes. Yes.
0: I love him as Jason McGuire from the show. Yes. I love that character. I mean, he's he's a jerk. You know, <laughs> he's, he's a bad guy. But I love that portrayal, uh, and I know he would also play Paul Stoddard as well, but... To have him on the show as, like, the sheriff, or in the film, to be as the sheriff, that was fun. I liked seeing him there, too. I guess, like, a, you should have, like, a bingo card of all the Dark Shadows <laughs> actors as you're watching the movie.
4: Right. Yeah, and, you know, the sheriff, they could have got anyone to play that, but the fact that they brought him and someone that was on the show, that is just really, really cool.
0: That was cool. I mean, the only thing that could have been better than that was to get, um, what's his name, Dana? Oh, Elkar? Yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. <laughs> Get him instead. No, it's just cool to see him there, and to see some of these other actors that...
4: Uh, one that's missing that kind of shocked me, I guess, was Mrs. Johnson.
0: Yeah. That
4: was not Clarice Blackburn. And I don't recall, I think she was gone and not associated with the show at that point, but they did get a different actress to play her, and uh, looked similar, but, you know, that it, it wasn't Mrs. Johnson. I miss Mrs. Johnson.
0: That's true, and at first, I didn't even expect it to be a Mrs. Johnson. I just expected, you know, it's a bigger house. It's got a bigger staff, that sort of thing. But then as the movie continues, they do refer to a Mrs. Johnson. I'm like, wait a minute. That wasn't her, was it? Then I I did look to see. And yeah, no, she, she was not the original Mrs. Johnson from the show, which is too bad because she's also a lot of fun in the show. Uh,
4: just a, a little tidbit here. If you, I read this. I don't even know where researching for this, but uh, the scene where she comes in and she's carrying a tray of glasses and she discovers Carolyn's body, she drops that tray. Apparently, the, the crashing of the tray chipped some of the tiles in this house. And oh. when they, it's a uh, historic site or was at the time they filmed the movie and you know they had to be very careful not to damage or destroy. And there were tours still going on in part of the house while they were filming in other parts and all of that. But they did have to I guess, pay for the repair of those tiles and those glasses dropped.
0: Of all things (laughs) that I would think that would happen in that, you know, shooting in a historic location like that, a glass chipped to tile as opposed to blood staining something. Or
4: Or starting fire to the, you know, big velvet curtains because of the lights or something, you know,
0: (laughs) we just chipped the floor. That's awesome. (laughs) I did miss I did miss uh, the original Mrs. Johnson, though. I did miss having her there. Not that she would have had much to do. It just would have been a nice little, oh, hey, you know.
4: Right, right. Uh, I want to ask you about the old age makeup. Uh, Dick Smith, the famous Dick Smith, did it both in the TV series and the movie Different. Uh, do you prefer one or the other?
0: Because... I used to think I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up, One of, which I'm getting tired of saying. Sorry. Uh, because of my background there and my deep interest in special makeup effects back in the day, I had watched a documentary about Tom Savini. And in it, he talks about Dick Smith's old man makeup from Little Big Man. And they show clips of that. So as soon as I saw Old Man Barnabas in this film, I thought, that looks a lot like... Uh, Dustin Hoffman in Little Big Man. And sure enough, I did check into that because something was driving me crazy. That is part of the old man makeup from Little Big Man. Huh.
4: I did not know that.
0: So it, it became very recognizable to me. It didn't take me out of it. Yeah. I mean, I like it. I feel like there's a bigger budget with the makeup on it than what you got in the show. I don't know which I prefer, though.
4: Yeah, the, the TV show, it's more of he just he may had a full head of white hair and, he, and it's mm-hmm. very different and of course, I'm sure the time constraints of preparing it, and doing it daily, was very different than the movie. Um, I, I go back and forth too. Sometimes I think the face on the TV is better, but I like the, you know, balding of the movie with the little wisps of hair. They're both great.
0: That was a nice touch to have the wisps of hair kind of wildly, kind of dancing around his bald head. I, I liked that a lot. I thought it was a nice touch. You know, just didn't go straight up bald. And I feel like. Jonathan Frid, who, by the way, as of this recording, the day we're recording, is his birthday, uh, which is kind of cool. I yeah. uh, didn't plan that, but it is. Uh, I thought you could still see him through the makeup, and he still was Barnabas, despite having all this latex all over him.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I and mean, He's just fantastic in this film. He goes full bad in the film, yeah. which you don't do in the show, because in the show, you know, he kind of goes back and forth. and But in this, he's just the villain.
4: Yeah, and and I I think perhaps the one little scene that might demonstrate the difference just in tone and style is in House of Dark Shadows. You see Barnabas crouched down on the floor on all fours, feeding on one of his victims that you never would have seen that in in the show. And that I think that represents so much, not just about style, but the character and the the route that the movie went. Uh, It's it's full out horror. And I love it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it, I, I can't imagine fans of a of a soap opera would have gotten the same thing out of this that fans of horror would have gotten out of this. Yeah, it's a, a full on vampire film.
4: Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about this. I don't know how they promoted this. Nothing that I see, you know, ties it to the, the series. It seems like they were promoting it pretty much as its thing. I mean. One of the taglines, you know, talks about Barnabas Collins. I'm sure you would have known if you watched the show. But, you know, nowhere is it based on ABC's hit daytime soap opera. You know, they it seems like they kind of wanted to present it as its own thing.
0: Well, how involved was the TV uh, studio, ABC, with the film? I mean, this is an MGM production, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I, as far as I know, not at all. I mean, uh, I know Dan Curtis, one of the things that has sustained Dark Shadows all these years where some shows maybe aren't as uh, readily available is that he owned it he owned dark shadows so I believe he could probably do what he wanted with it without like the network ABC having to approve it or whatever so I don't think I don't think the network had anything to do with it maybe there was a clause or something where they didn't want to be associated with it and they didn't want them promoting it. I don't know but I I don't this is just speculation but I don't think ABC really would have had much at all to do with the movie.
0: I'm a big fan of press kits and all the promotional material like movie posters and that sort of thing. Zombo's closet is a great resource for a lot of press kits from classic horror. And I just, as we were talking, I just pulled it up and he does have the press kit from house of dark shadows online. And there's a few mentions of it being based on the TV serial, but that's it. But very, very little. Uh, I don't see ABC. I'm just scanning it right now. Just kind of, I don't see mention of ABC or how people can see it, or even if the show is still on. Just says it's made of a made a feature film of the TV serial. Hmm.
4: What does interest me about the advertising campaign, and it's again the sort of this '70s thing. I think they took a similar approach with the Bonneville Dr. Fives, is the you know applying humor to it. I mean tagline a story of blood relations Barnabas Collins vampire takes a bride in a bizarre act of unnatural lust come see how the vampires do it
0: oh I love that
4: I mean that's uh, that that tone I think doesn't really match the movie it sort of adds a humorous kind of slant to it but so you know not only sort of applying this humorous layer to the advertising but also a sort of sexual one I mean bizarre act of unnatural lust you know that's that's how they promoted things in the seventies,
0: <laughs> and I love that. And there's there's this kind of kind of wink, wink, nut, nod, nod kind of thing going on here. I'm looking at the press kit again, and some of these uh, pieces in the press kit are articles that you're supposed to submit, submit to your local newspaper to maybe get them to run it. Some of the headlines are "The Vampire Who Came to Dinner" and uh, <laughs> "Vampire Finds Bats Chummy." You know, <laughs> it's like that's that's great. Although I don't feel like there's a lot of that in the film. No, no. (laughs) That sense of, I don't know, cheekiness. that The movie's just a a flat-out serious vampire flick. Yeah.
4: And I try to think of other vampire movies at the time. The only one I come up with, say, in the United States, is Count Yorga Vampire, which I like a lot. I, I need to watch it. I haven't seen it in a long time. But I sort of think if you're trying to maybe say what the best vampire movie of this era is, it would sort of be between those two uh, this will always be my favorite just because of the history. But do you have any take on that? Can you think of a vampire movie that you think of this era as really a, sort of the definitive vampire?
0: It, it's tough. And I'm looking at what Hammer was doing in the 70s. And that was, you know, the era of uh, like Twins of Evil and Lust for a Vampire and Vampire Lovers was 1970. Um, what Christopher Lee Dracula film came out that year? Taste of Blood of Dracula and Scars of Dracula. And then uh, Blackula came out in 72. So, yeah, it's really kind of... What would you say is the definitive seventies vamp- 1970 vampire film? I would either put it with this or Twins of Evil. Yeah. Just because of Cushing. But, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at things here. Count Yorga, 1970. Velvet Vampire, which I really like, was 1971. And I guess Jess Franco's Count Dracula came out in 1970 as well, so... 70s was a good time for vampire films. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I
3: hadn't
0: really thought about that, but yeah, there's a lot here. That's great. Huh. But as far as like maybe American vampire productions, oh yeah, I'd put this right there at the top.
4: Yeah, I, I didn't know if the, you know, the connection of feeling like you had to have seen the series to really get things out of it. I don't know if, you know, that disqualifies it for saying, but I think if you try to eliminate that and you just focus on that vampire story in the movie I can make a case that it's the definitive vampire movie. I mean, it's it's a classic story, you know? I mean, Mm it has been locked up, he gets released, he attacks, they hunt him, and done. I I probably wouldn't say that if it was not filmed so fantastically, you know, with the the mood and the atmosphere, the music. Uh, Something I noticed about the look, and it's a dark movie, and as I was watching it last night, I thought, are there even any scenes in the sunlight? And it turns out there are later, but it's interesting that early in the movie, there is a scene. It's clearly in the sunlight, but even it is filmed from within the woods looking out. It's a I shot. Uh, I can't remember who's walking towards Collinwood, but it's in the woods and there's a clearing in Collinwood's in the distance. And you can see the sun shining out on the ground, but it's still dark because it's filmed from inside the woods. And I just think that's really cool. I mean, It gives the impression that the whole movie is this dark, mysterious movie, even though there are some brighter parts of it.
0: Something I hadn't considered. I guess I'll just have to watch the movie again to (laughs) – darn (laughs) – to catch some of that. I was looking – while you were talking there, I was looking to see who the cinematographer was on this. Arthur J. Ornitz, who I know nothing about and apparently didn't work on the show or the following film. No,
4: and I looked him up this morning. He's actually the cinematographer for uh, Death Wish and Serpico, which I have not seen in years and years, but pretty big movies at the time uh, that I imagine had a a distinctive look. He also did the movie Charlie with Cliff Robertson, which is a favorite of mine. But yeah, so, I mean, Dan Curtis, he was a wheeler dealer, and uh, (laughs) I, I imagine he... Somehow, I don't want to say conned—that's too strong—but wrangled some big names into this little pet project of his. The production design, a guy named Trevor Williams, nothing genre really before this, but he did the Changeling, you know, after Castle nope. Dark Shows. and that's certainly, you know, an atmospheric. Uh, Good and creepy. Yeah, the only one that was struck me as odd, and maybe not, but was set decoration. Uh, a guy named Kenneth Fitzpatrick. He doesn't really have many other credits at all of anything. And I guess maybe there wasn't so much set decoration because the stuff was all there, you know. But um, I sort of expected to see a bigger name on that or at least see that he had gone on to do other things after this.
0: Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people in front of the camera that came over from the TV show, but I, I don't see a lot of people behind the camera that came over from the TV show. Well, I guess they had to still be making it. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Like you said earlier, they kind of were doing a different storyline on the TV show so they could go off and film the film. Yeah. Good point.
4: point. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know if Dan Curtis would have wanted that. I mean, he was going for a look, different look and feel. Um, Maybe those people didn't have, you know, experience on the big screen. I
0: don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Or it could have been a contractual thing. Maybe, Although the costume designer, I guess, did do some work on the TV show as well. Uh, Ramsey Mostler, which makes sense. I mean, I can't imagine that they redid all the costumes <laughs> for the film. They just kind of used what they had. If anything, maybe Liz Stoddard's got some uh, some new gowns. Wear, yeah, I think but. I read somewhere
4: that Carolyn's vampire gown was like, made out of several different things so she probably involved in that i've got some deep dive trivia for you Derek. so ramsey Moss stole you know costumes i Mm -hmm. again it's not one of the main things you think of at dark shadows but they're they're good and they certainly contribute and i would say she's i actually don't know if it's a he or she but very competent at their craft you know Mm -hmm. it it definitely contributes do you know what one of uh, the early credits of this person was
0: I just stumbled. I, I'm sorry. I am so sorry because I just stumbled across it.
4: <laughs> no, that's all right. It's You would not. I don't think. I was shocked to hear it. Santa Claus. Santa Claus Conquers the, the Martians. Not a movie. Not a movie that you think of costumes <laughs> being a strong point.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah. There's that.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So definitely someone that improved, I would say, at the very least.
0: Uh, over there uh, And then would later on to go do Sesame Street. Awesome. That all said, though, the music does come over. Uh, Bob, I don't know if it's pronounced Colbert or Colbert, but Bob Colbert does the music, which he also did in the TV series. And some of the music does come over, but I do feel like there's some original pieces in the film as well that you don't feel like you've heard looped over and over and over again on the TV series, which I appreciate as well. I I don't know if there's a standalone soundtrack release, but if there is, I got to get it.
4: Yeah, there's a a double. It's this and Night of Dark Shadows. And uh, that's another thing besides actors and sets and stories coming from the TV. If you liked the music in the TV series, which I think definitely contributed to it, to hear it with a full orchestra and you know deep and full and lush rather than sort of a you know, videotape, mm-hmm. TV type soundtrack that was just basically cues repeated over and over. That it's just spectacular in the movie. It makes I think it, it-
0: oh, it's it's phenomenal. And I'm looking here now. There is a CD available. However, it looks like it is currently out of print, which means you're going to be paying a little extra for it, uh, like 45 bucks. Which uh, I don't know if I can justify that. But wow, I'm glad to hear it's out there. Anyway, I can get lost in the music. And like I said earlier, I love that the blue whale music turns up. So.
4: Uh, if you watch a lot of other Dan Curtis shows, these themes reoccur. And I don't remember specifically. I don't remember if it's Dracula, but, you know, he also did The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You'll hear some Dark Shadows, you know, themes here and there. So it's always fun when you're watching one of those and you happen to hear uh, Dark Shadows. I don't know how prolific Bob, and I've heard it is, Cobert. I don't know how prolific he was. I mean, he has a lot of credits, but it's, it's a lot of uh, repetition, but man, those themes and Josette's music box. I mean, oh, man. those are just classic themes that are just so iconic. I, I just love them.
0: Yeah. Josette's music box, uh, the opening theme, of course, just, uh, I just love that. And yeah, it is in Dracula where you hear some more of it. Uh, talked about Dracula with Steve Sullivan earlier this month, and he commented on that too. And, you know, it just kind of fits. There's this American Gothic kind of feel that goes along with this music, that goes along with all things Dark Shadows. It just fits. I yeah. love it. I love yep. it so much. I I yeah. am a huge Dark Shadows fan. By the time uh, we got to this, I suspected I was going to love it. Boy, do I love it!
4: I, I just Good, I'm I so think, glad. Dad. Oh man! Really disappointed me if you didn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can we still be friends?
4: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and that, and that's great. You're you're in a perfect position because you haven't consumed all of it. You've still got Night of Dark Shadows to look forward to if you can consider that. Looking forward to that sort of the week week link, I think. But oh, that's too got bad. the 90s series. Even if you love it so much, like I do, that you want to see a different take on it. You've even got the Johnny Depp. So you've got things to look forward to. You haven't consumed it all yet, and that's fantastic.
0: Uh, what else about the? film Is there anything else about the film that you want to uh, make sure we cover here?
4: Gosh, I don't think so. We covered a lot. Like I say, I'm a little biased, uh, Mm -hmm. but I and, you know, maybe you could point out flaws. I would probably be able to spin that into something that's not a flaw. It just for whatever combinations of reasons, you know, this is just, you know, you've got your your creature. It's not just your favorite horror movie. It's your favorite movie, period. I don't know that this is my very favorite, but it's definitely right up there of any kind of movie it's a go-to uh never disappoints i love it i'm i'm glad i got to watch it again
0: so i watched it streaming uh on amazon prime well i guess it wasn't prime i had to pay for it but either way i did watch it that way is it available on disc
4: yeah it's dvd and blu-ray i don't know the the companies that's why i'm kind of i think the, the dvds were you know mgm uh don't remember who puts out the Blu-rays, but yeah, and I think they're reasonably priced, but no bonuses. Uh, uh, too every bad. time I sneak it in, I'm hoping, oh, is there a commentary on there? I hope so, but no.
0: <laughs> that's too bad, but uh, okay, yeah, I'm finding it on Amazon right now. DVD, less than $9. Blu-ray, less than, uh, let's see, like, 20 bucks. I mean, that's not bad at all. I'd, I'd pay for that.
4: It's a bargain at any price, Derek.
0: Oh, well... <laughs> But you're biased, right?
4: Well, yeah.
0: But, you know, I'm right there with you. I I adored this film. This was so much fun to watch. A great way to start my Sunday morning um, inadvertently celebrating Jonathan Fred's birthday while doing so. Uh, That's
4: uh, like fate or something.
0: (laughs) It really is such a great film. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, in my brain trying to work this film into the chronology of the series, <laughs> the canon of the series. And just, I'm going to say it's like an alternate timeline thing, you know, because this, the show did that a couple of times, you know, these different timeline type things. This is just a different, maybe, I don't know. That's a stretch, but oh no,
4: that's no, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah, definitely.
0: Just man, highly recommend this film. If people haven't seen this or have not given it, you know, a look in a long time, I can't recommend it higher. This is probably one of my favorite movies that we've talked about during Dan Simber. And uh, would you say people
4: that aren't familiar with dark shadows and might be intimidated and not want to watch it. I, I would say, get that thought out of your head. Yeah. It might be interesting to watch this first. You know, maybe that would be your gateway into the series, but don't feel like you can't see it because mm-hmm. it, it does succinctly tell one of the most popular storylines. And mm-hmm. Granted, there may be little pieces that slip through the cracks, but I think it stands alone. And uh, whether you even think you would ever want to watch Dark Shadows, I think you should see this movie.
0: I agree. I think even if you're not familiar with Dark Shadows, you're going to dig it. You're going to get a lot out of it. You get a really cool vampire. You get some really great staking scenes. I mean, they're really good. They're yeah. pretty violent looking and intimidating and scary. And I mean, it's great. To see Jonathan Frid on the big screen like this is phenomenal, Uh, scary. The man's intimidating, even though he kind of looks like somebody who'd be smaller than me, like size-wise, but he's (laughs) still scary. Um, well, Derek, no
4: offense, but I think most people are smaller <laughs> <than you. laughs>
0: That's true. I am 6'4", but you're, still, you're a tall guy. Uh, but he just he just looks intimidating. He would scare me, okay? I'm just saying. He yeah. walked into my house, right? Well, first I'd ask what he's doing in my house. But if he walked <laughs> into my house, I'd be terrified. Um, but he's fantastic. John Carlin is really good as Loomis. The performances in this are great. The music's solid. The cinematography looks good. The production design is so lush and grand. It's just so good. I I really recommend people check this out. I will say, if this is going to be your gateway into Dark Shadows, please be patient with the series. It took me a little while to warm up to the series knowing that Barnabas was coming. I just wanted Barnabas to show up. Now, I got over that pretty quickly, but I do remember at the beginning of my journey through Dark Shadows, I kept thinking, okay, I just have to get through the soap opera stuff for Barnabas to show up. I just have to wait. I just, you know, I just have to wait and just keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. Now the Barnabas is here. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Um, but every once in a while I found myself getting impatient.
4: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's, just I, agree, because totally. I knew,
0: Just because I knew, you know, Barnabas and was I think
4: that's talent. probably why most people pick it up and start with the, the Barnabas storyline. And I think back in the day when it ran on sci-fi, I think that's where they kicked it off. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
4: you know, a, a case could be made that you really can't appreciate those earlier episodes until you've seen, uh, the Barnabas and everything that happened after that. If you get all the way through there, there's no excuse not to go back. You'll want to go back and see. Oh, sure. Those earlier episodes.
0: Yeah. And there are some great things that happened in the earlier episodes. The Phoenix storyline is really interesting. There are some great characters.
4: And there's some dark stuff. I mean, even early on with the the possibility that David tampered with his father's car to kill him. I mean, that's, (laughs) I don't believe that was normal soap opera stuff for the day.
0: (laughs) No and maybe I should have saved this for when we recorded for my eventual dark shadows mega episode, Burke Devlin. I love Burke Devlin as a character, as a villain, but just as a character, I just, I love what Mitchell Ryan did. And I feel like in the films, uh, I did check to see he's not in the 91 version. And I don't think he turns up in the Tim Burton film. Burke Devlin has been written out of dark shadows, man. That's not cool.
4: Yeah. And, Uh, I believe he changed actors, didn't
0: he? Yeah. Mitchell Ryan, from what I understand, had some issues, uh, alcoholism and he was removed from the show. That's what I'm told by Steve Turek, uh, who I think watched a documentary about it. I don't, I could be speaking out of turn. I don't know for sure, but yeah, he had to leave and somebody else came in.
4: Yeah. And if you are questioning why we would go on about Mitch Ryan, just look at the performances of those two. A vast difference. I, I don't know if they eventually wrote the character out because the actor playing him wasn't that great, but I mean, he was a fine actor. He went on to play other roles, but uh, yeah, Burke Devlin to me is Mitch Ryan and he's great. Those scenes with him and David are, they're, they're, they're really nice.
0: Oh yeah. mm, So I miss him. They wrote him out. He's not part of dark shadows anymore. So disappointing. Uh, I did watch a interview with him on YouTube and with Mitchell Ryan, that is. And I think he said that, Technically, you never really saw Burke's body, so maybe he's still out there somewhere.
4: Well, you know, soap operas are like comic books. Does anyone really ever die?
0: (laughs) I like my Burke Devlin quite a bit. But you don't need him for House of Dark Shadows to get it back on track. House of Dark Shadows, solid film from top to bottom. I really enjoyed it. I'm so excited that it is now part of my Dark Shadows experience and just thrilled that I had that moment where I saw what Jeff was putting in the trunk of his car at Monster <laughs> Bash. Uh, and you were so happy, too, when you had it. It's like, oh, man, it's like trying not to show it off, but you were showing it off a little bit. It was awesome. we uh, uh, were so thrilled.
4: <laughs> yep, that's what Dark Shadows does to me. And I feel like I've gushed and any continual talk of this movie would just be too gushy. But that's how I feel about it.
0: I mean, once you see how the vampires do it. That's right. Jeff, this was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And like I said at the beginning of this, you are the man behind ClassicHorrors.club. People should be checking that out. ClassicHorrors.club, you tend to put something out at least every couple of days. I mean, it's always being updated.
4: I try. You know how it is. You go a while and you're very prolific and then you have a lull. But try to keep it fresh.
0: And you're always doing it. You're always doing a good job of it. And the podcast itself, you and Podcast Mainstay, Rich Chamberlain, who has appeared in the form of feedback on more podcasts than anybody else I know, <laughs> uh, he's doing the show with you now. And that's what every other week, isn't it? One um, well, month. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah,
4: one okay. month. And if I'm going to take this opportunity just to, to plug this month. we are We just recorded yesterday. We are doing a creepy Cohen Christmas, Larry Cohen. We, we did the it's alive trilogy and that stretches a little beyond the the normal, what you would call classic horror uh, with how we define it. The first two fit the third mm-hmm. one Island of the live was eighties, but we have a good time talking about that. And then we, we have a special bonus Christmas episode that we're doing it. We tend to run a little long. We get a little chatty. You've mentioned it many times when you get monster kids together We can't seem to bring an episode in under two hours, but we made a special point. We did a special Christmas. It was our 25th episode, so we felt like we needed to. So we have a shorter episode that will come out, I think the 17th, and it will be all about Santa Claus Conquers
1: the Martians.
0: As Monster Kids, who podcast, I think we have to talk about that movie at some point. I know I did it with Scott a couple years ago, so I'm eager to hear what you guys have to say about it. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I don't want to know spoilers here, but I, I think I have a different take on it than mostly what you hear about it. So uh, tune in and listen, and then you'll you'll know for sure that I'm certifiable.
0: Well, with a teaser like that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been a lot of fun, and there's one thing we have to do before I let you go. Okay. We didn't play the Classic Five at the top of the show. we got to do it at the end. We didn't. All
1: right. Well, I'll do it. i
0: game. Which seems to be the pattern because i also forgot to do it at the beginning of the show with steve when we did dracula so all right the classic five for people who don't know it's a game that we play here on the show or a conversation starter or in this case a conversation Uh, (laughs) wrap-up maybe depending on how long jeff and i talk about these things uh each card has a this or that which movie do you prefer style type question all about classic monster movies there are no wrong answers jeff are you ready to play Let's go. All right. Card number one right off the top from the Monster Bash exclusive deck. What two classic science fiction movies would make the perfect double feature?
4: Oh, let's see. I'm going to go something I kind of discovered this year. I I was on a little kick of watching quote unquote bad movies, Mm -hmm. movies that have a reputation that I've never really wanted to watch because honestly, I don't want to purposely watch a bad movie, but I've been watching and Uh, I would say Killer Shrews and the giant Gila monster.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun to see those back to back.
0: Right on. All right. Card number two, if you had to colorize one universal monster movie, which one would it be?
4: If I had to, because I would not be inclined to (laughs) colorize any of them.
0: hmm, I
4: think it'd be one of the later ones. Let's say The Wolfman. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know particularly why. It's just a little bit later one. I think you know not as late as creature, and I think you'd be inclined to to want to see that in color in the green, but yeah, let's go with man,
0: okay, fair enough, all right, card number three, who else oh man, who else could have or should have played Dracula and bonus points if you say Jonathan Frit <laughs>
4: <laughs> Jonathan Fritt, hey, there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> number four. Let's pull this from the core deck number two that will eventually be coming out. Uh which movie do you prefer? Return of the fly or curse of the fly?
4: Return of the fly. Yeah. Rich and I did an episode on that. We talked about all three. Yeah, definitely between those two. And honestly, and this is probably not the popular opinion, between the fly and return of the fly, I kind of prefer Return of the Fly.
0: It's got more Vincent Price. Definitely. I feel like th- and that's definitely a, a point in its favor. Although curse of the flies got my man Brian Donlevy, so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it has that. <laughs> Which apparently isn't a big point in its favor for Jeff.
4: Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, I just didn't get into that one. <laughs>
0: Well, speaking of Brian Donlevy, the fifth card off the top here is from the Hammer deck. What do you prefer? Hammer Horror or Hammer Sci-Fi? Since Donlevy played Quatermass a couple times. It's my connection there. The
4: Horror. That, that's an easy one. I've kind of stumbled on the others, but no no doubt about that. The Horror.
0: I seem to really know what they were doing there. Well, that was the Classic Five. I think you're Wait, pre- wait, wait. Where's yeah.
4: the card from the Dark Shadows expansion?
0: Should I do one? Absolutely. Huh. Would you be willing to help write it?
4: (laughs) You know I would.
0: (laughs) There we go. Well, listeners, we'll do a Dark Shadows Classic 5 expansion in 2019. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. Jeff, thanks again, man.
4: Uh, Thank you, Derek. It was great.
0: Head over to ClassicHorrors.Club to find out everything you need to know about what Jeff's got cooking, his podcast, his website. He's pumping out great content, and I really love his point of view on all things classic horror. For him, the window of classic horror, his focus goes a little beyond like the late 60s like I traditionally do here on the show when we're not talking about something like Dan Curtis Productions. And I really appreciate that because he's got a love for the classics and then he's got a love for the things that were kind of happening around the late 60s, early 70s, and even into the 80s. Jeff's just incredible. Thanks for being part of the show this week.
3: Blackula is back. All new. All powerful. Blackula. The Black Prince of Shadows rises from his grave to stalk the Earth again. In the all-new motion picture-chilla, scream, Blackula, scream. <laughs> Blackula returns, quenching his thirst for blood in a death trap for his enemies. Blackula, more horrifying than Dracula, screaming for revenge against a voodoo cult of evil. <laughs> Scream, Blackula, Scream. All new, rated PG, starring William Marshall, Don Mitchell, and Pam Greer, the sensuous godmother of coffee. You were terrified at Blackula. Now the Prince of Shadows returns in Scream, Blackula, Scream. Art, a film of tender love and the screams of vampire death. Now there's a powerful motion picture that rips at your emotions. The vampire lovers. It brings you beautiful love and vampire evil, and it'll drive your mind through a thousand terror-filled moments. You'll hear whispers of warm desire become shrieks of chilling death. You'll taste the deadly passion of the vampire lovers and become a slave of the damned. You'll discover the sweet embrace and the deadly kiss of blood nymphs who refuse to die. The Vampire Lovers. It's in color, and it had to be rated R. Under 17 must be accompanied by a parent or adult guardian. Don't miss, The Vampire Lovers.
1: How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home
2: after a long day, when suddenly tragedy strikes.
3: No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard
1: back there and he's heading his way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen
3: weapons, capable of wiping cities. Countries off the face of the earth are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And
4: what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the handbook for surviving a giant monster attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving.
0: you head over to monsterkidradio.net, I'm going to make sure there's a link for you to download your own copy of the Monster Kid Radio 2018 Holiday Gift Guide. This is something that I work off and on throughout the year and I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I think there are some really neat things on there that people might have missed or people might not have considered picking up for the favorite monster kid in their life. Also, this year's holiday gift guide features some amazing cover art by my friend and yours, Chris Franklin, one half of the Supermates podcast. Chris isn't just a talented podcaster, he's an amazing artist and he gave us that amazing artwork. So if nothing else, download the gift guide so you can check that out. Like I said, I'll make sure it's over at monsterkidradio.net just to kind of give you a little bit of a sneak preview about what you can expect to find in the gift guide. Obviously, we're a movie podcast primarily, so you're going to find a lot of movies on the list. A lot of DVDs, a lot of Blu-rays that have come out over the past year and not just your traditional classic monster movies. I mean, sure, the Black Scorpion on Blu-ray, that's amazing. The Teenagers from Outer Space and Giant Leeches double feature set. That's amazing. But I also tried to dive a little deeper than that. The vampire and the ballerina came out and there was an animated feature called Monster Family that came out on DVD. And as of right now, it's less than $10. So there's a lot you can pick up here. Of course, Christopher R. Mims represented with his guns of the apocalypse. I also made sure to include some horror hosted content. You're going to find the Midnight Mausoleums DVD releases for this year on here as well. Now, there's not just movies. There's action figures. I think the big thing everybody was excited about this year was the Super 7 release of six universal classic Characters: We have the Metaluna Mutant, the Wolfman, Phantom of the Opera, the Mole People, the Mummy, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. I don't have any of these in my own personal collection yet, but I have seen them. I know that Dr. Tongues, I had that shop, had them on the wall for a little while. I don't know if they still have it in stock. And I've actually personally held at least one of these they just look amazing. Man, I really want to get my hands on these. Now, that's not the only action figure on the list. Did you know that Guli, the horror host, has another action figure out right now? The first one sold out. And as of the release of the gift guide over the weekend, it was still available. I, I hope it's still there now because it's an 8-inch Svengoolie figure wearing the Svengoolie t-shirt that glows in the dark. How cool is that? Of course, we've got books on the list as well, including Friend of the Show. Frank Schilder's books that came out this year, Napoleon's Vampire Hunters. That's going to be there. Graveyard Groove, which you heard me talk with David Accord about a while back. That's on the list as well. Uh, Jim Beard, another friend of the show, he released a collection called Quest for the Space Gods. That's there too. And of course, Info Gothic, which... If you haven't seen the promo video, if you haven't looked at the sample artwork, you are missing out. Alistair Hughes did a bang-up job. We've got CD soundtracks on here as well, as well as some miscellaneous items, some things from the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, as well as a few Etsy craft stores and other crafters that are represented on the gift guide. Again, head over to monsterkidradio.net to check that out. And of course, if you buy any of these things and there's a place for you to like leave a note for the seller, I know you can't do that on Amazon, but like with the Lovecraft Historical Society or on Etsy, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. on over the past few episodes. I've mentioned episode 400 is coming, and no, it's not happening at the very end of the year, but pretty darn close, despite what I said last week. Anyway, next week is episode 400, and I had put out a call to you guys and gals asking what you thought I should do to celebrate 400, and I got some great ideas. Now, I, I wanted to do something big, but you know, 400 episodes, it's not like it's a big 500, which feels like a bigger Thing, But, you know, 400th episode, that's amazing. I wouldn't be here without you guys and gals, of course, which is why I asked for your input. And I got, like I said, some amazing ideas. And I think what we're going to do next week is something that was recommended to me by Anthony Wendell. Now, Anthony's a friend of the show. He's been on the show before, and he's going to be on the show in the first part of next year as well. He and I have already got something in the virtual can, so to speak. And he and I were speaking, and he recommended a couple of things, something for me to do, and then something for you guys and gals to do. So, for my part, what I'm going to do, because it's near the end of the year, a time when we start looking back on our accomplishments and start thinking about what we're going to do in the following you know, year, call it a resolution or a game plan, whatever, I'm going to reflect on the past 400 episodes and kind of talk about the things that I feel are my proudest moments, the things that I think I did right with the show. I don't want to turn it into a bragging session, but you know, I think I hit some pretty important Moments, at least for me, with the podcast and all things Monster Kid Radio. Things that I wouldn't have been able to pull off without the support of the listeners and my fellow Monster Kid community. I'm going to talk about that and maybe talk about some things that I regret not getting to yet. There are some regrets that I have, and and I'll air that too. But it really is going to be more about a celebration of all things Monster Kid and Monster Kid Radio. So for your part, what we'd like to have you do is call in or send us an audio recording talking about the things that you've loved or enjoyed on Monster Kid Radio. What are some of the topics that you really liked us talking about, or maybe some of the movies, some of the highlights, maybe some movies that you've discovered because of the show. I would love to share that with this kind of celebration we're going to do with episode 400. Our voicemail line is 503-503. Four seven nine five six five seven. That's five zero three four seven nine five MKR. Or like I said, you can send us a recording at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And I'll include that in the mix. I think that would be a lot of fun to do, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys and gals have to say.
3: Come back to Collinwood, that house of dark shadows where life and death Go on, as usual. <coughs> Come with us, Angeline Collins. A witch is hanged in the garden. Prepare yourself for eternity, witch! For your earthly remains will hang here until your spirit returns to the pits of darkness. Let the devil take his own! Dust to dust, ashes to ashes... Arguably, Collins has departed this life. She'll be back. Funny thing about this place, I keep imagining things. A bodiless spirit consummates a 200-year-old love affair. He came from the house on the hill. She came from the grave. Death kept their love alive. From the makers of House of Dark Shadows, Night of
2: Dark Shadows.
3: only search is nearing an end at last the collectible toy oasis
2: hey henry hey kid what's it gonna be indie or Han? dr tongues i had that shot 7129 northeast fremont street vintage goofiness from years gone by sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia we specialize
3: in things your mother threw away and some she didn't dr tongues toys <laughs>
0: That brings us to the end of the episode this week. I want to thank you guys and gals for listening to the show. And once again, just being part of this amazing community that I've somehow found myself in. It's just awesome. One big monster hug. I'm, telepathically hugging you with my brain right now. That's how much I enjoy your company here every week. Anyway, uh, this has been a fun show. Big thanks to everybody who was on the show this week. Oh, and I didn't even mention at the beginning of the show that Jeff Pollier called in another Weird Wednesday report. How cool is that? Anyway, thanks everybody who contributed to the show this week. If you want to learn more about Monster Kid Radio, monsterkidradio.net. That's where you're going to want to go to find all the links to everything that we talked about in this episode of the show. Our show notes, we try to include everything there, and I'll make sure there's there's a couple of buttons that take you directly to Amazon to pick up your own copy of night of dark shadows. And if you go through that link, well you help monster kid radio out because we're an affiliate. Speaking of which you can also find the holiday gift guide on our website and it's clickable. There are links in there to take you to all the online sites to buy what's on the gift guide. Anything that goes through Amazon again, please use the link in the gift guide because that goes to my affiliate link. Anyway, the gift guide's there. Our contact information is on our website. Again, it's 503-4795MKR or MonsterKidradio at gmail.com. Of course, I'm also on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and apparently I'm on YouTube. I know I've kind of slowed down on putting up new videos in the Monster Kid Radio on YouTube YouTube channel. However, While I was uploading last week's episode, I found a button on my podcast hosts website that allows me to direct the podcast to YouTube as well. So starting from this point forward, you're going to find every episode of monster kid radio that comes out on YouTube. Now the video portion of it is typically just going to be the cover art for the episode, but if you're a YouTube user. And it's easier for you to consume YouTube than download a podcast. Well, there you go. The downside is that when I hit that button, every single episode of monster kid radio up till that point, tried to upload to the YouTube channel. So if you're already subscribing to the YouTube channel, it probably screwed up your subscription feed. And I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) That was not the plan. Also. A few times, YouTube struck a few of the episodes that were being uploaded with copyright strikes, probably because of either the music that I played at the top of the show or maybe some music that was heard in one of the trailers that I use. I try to keep things pretty above board here on Monster Kid Radio when it comes to copyright issues. Legally, I'm allowed to use most trailers, and I always get permission from the bands to play their music, but YouTube's got some algorithms in place that automatically flag things if things even sound similar, and they'd rather be safe than so when it comes to copyright issues, I'm going to contest all that. But for the most part, that shouldn't impact you guys and gals, except a couple of episodes were completely blocked because of it. But if you're missing out on some old episodes, well, you just again, monsterkidradio.net. You can find every episode there. What's happening next week? Well, Dan Sember is continuing. And this one, this one's going to be interesting. I know that we've been very vampire heavy. And heck, in two weeks, we're going to be super vampire heavy because we're doing Dark Shadows. Let's do a different kind of monster. Let's talk about werewolves. Let's talk about the movie Scream of the Wolf. Normally, I would insert a trailer here. However, I have yet to find a trailer for this because this is, again, a TV movie. It was directed by Dan Curtis, came out in 1974, and it was highly recommended to me by... My friend and yours, Larry Underwood, a.k.a. the horror host, Dr. Gain Green. He really enjoys one of the actors in this film, and I can't wait to talk about that actor and this movie with Larry next week. And I just mentioned a second ago, in two weeks we're talking about Dark Shadows, so I'm going to put the call out now. I know I'm putting the call out for a lot of things. There's a lot of call to actions happening this month, and I know it's a busy month with the holidays, but if you want to talk about Dark Shadows, tell me what you think of the franchise, the original TV series, the revival, the movies, even the Tim Burton movie. I'd love to include you in the virtual roundtable, which is really less a roundtable and more just a collection of conversations that I'm gathering from people about the Dark Shadows milieu phenomenon franchise media thing. If you've read any of the dark shadows novels, if you've listened to any of the audio dramas done by big finish done by big finish productions, I'd love to include you in the mix. So please call that in or send us a a voice recording and we'll put you in there. And you know, I know I've asked for a lot of recordings. I hope you guys and y'all know that when I get a voicemail, I do listen to it beforehand and I do edit it up a little bit. I take out the ums and the uhs. And, you know, when I first started calling into podcasts years ago, I was always worried that my uhs and ums would come through. And I can't tell you how many times I called, say, like Night of the Living podcast and would leave a voicemail and then realize I said um or uh, or I just sounded like I didn't know what I was talking about. And instead of hitting pound to confirm the send, I would hit whatever it is you do to re-record the voicemail. Don't worry about that. I got you. Once again, thanks for listening. I'm going to go ahead and sign off and remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under your Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Blood, Sushi, and Sake. That belongs to the band Z and the Tiki Twisters. It comes from their album Hardcore Twist in Istanbul City. It came out last month. You can buy the entire album for €7. Check them out over at z the, Tiki Twisters at and let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.